This is Flipping Tables. Welcome to Flipping Tables. This is episode 50. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And yeah, 50, halfway to 100. This is getting a little crazy. We might have ourselves better than a hobby here. I think we might. And I think it's just, it's 50s like, I don't know what it is about round numbers, but it's like 49 was cool, 51 will be cool, but 50 is like 50. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's not seven squared, but... <laughs> As the so we, That's, I was just trying to think of reasons forty nine has any merit. Okay, so that are, we have to start saying each show number in some like crazy, the most succinct but hardest to understand math formula. Yeah, it's the strange like multiplication, division, square root. You so you, you your undergrads in math. So did you go through a time when everyone tried to give you like math related gifts? Have you seen that clock? The one that's like. Instead of numbers, it just has like math formulas that would result to each number? Not so much. Okay. It's mainly just here at this workplace that you guys are like, you are eternally the math guy. Well, it's a weird thing. It, we give uh, our boss a hard time for having majored in philosophy because it's like, that's nothing about what you do. Everyone I know who is an English major, he would I'm disagree like, with you, but that's because yeah. he's a philosophy <laughs> major. He's a philosophy major, exactly. So you need to just equate everything to math and then you'll be set. And just my whole life is a beautiful mind, including the crazy people I see. <laughs> awesome. That's, I'm an illusion. <laughs> so we have to, right at the beginning here, I want to throw out a quick little shout out to one of our listeners, uh, Mark, who, while listening to an earlier episode where we were talking about self-driving cars, he almost got run over by a woman who was in an SUV and not paying attention. While we were talking about how terrible human drivers are. Yeah, and just kind of our main point was why add a third or I guess the Z dimension or yeah, whatever. The, the Z axis. Yeah. Why would you want to add a whole other dimension for us to crash into things yeah. with human drivers? So I, I think I'm with wh- whoever we stole that point from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Automated driving required for flying cars. Yeah, absolutely. And I want flying cars, so I guess we have to have automatic yeah. flying cars. Mm-hmm. So we ha- we're we're not going to be able to get these clips right away, and we're going to do one of the worst radio things, which is describe a visual in detail. Yeah. But I think it's worth it. So we played Smash Brothers this weekend. And it was awesome. It was awesome. And, you know, even we have to get the eight-person thing going. But even with five and then three computer, it's still still kind of awesome. <laughs> still pretty awesome. There's a lot of ridiculous. The camera is like a mile away, so everything yeah. just looks like dots. And I don't really think like I mean I'm not an aficionado of Smash Brothers games, but it doesn't seem to me like there's really anything new. It's just refined and perfected and solid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, every version of Smash Brothers since. The original on 64, I think, has been an S release. Yeah. It's just like another, like, hey, we took that thing that was already perfect and made it shinier and added levels. Probably the biggest leap was from the original to Melee. Oh, yeah. Because it, sure. it wasn't just, like, graphically better. It was like, oh, instead of eight or ten fighters, it's 30. Yep. <laughs> and from then on, it's kind of been the same game, but I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> Yeah, well, especially because they have never, to my knowledge, been like, oh, it's an all-new experience. Everything is different, you guys. They're like, hey, uh, the graphics are better, and there's more characters. Especially now, I think I've probably said this before, but being able to make Mario, Sonic, and Mega Man fight to the death is like kind of magical to my childhood self. Just need some Crash Bandicoot in there. Oh, that. Well, was he in the terrible Battle Royale on PlayStation? I'm Probably. sure he had to. Have. Yeah. Because that's Naughty Dog. They're never going to. Yeah. But I mean, that would be like having Smash Brothers without Mario. Like, yeah. He has to be in there. But I was surprised. They took. Uh, they actually did take Snake away as like a bonus yeah, character. Yeah. Why no Snake? Yeah. I'm sure there's licensing. There, has there been any other special characters that they've removed that's the only one i cared about <laughs> okay <laughs> didn't they have some other novelties are they still with us Mega Man hasn't been in a previous one has he no he was new 
He was new. Sonic was new for the last game, and he came back. Okay. So he was in Brawl, and now he's here again. I think Sega's we, like, y'all got any more of the licensing <laughs> dollars? <laughs> hey, hey, man. So what are these clips we're going to share? I forget exactly what happened. Well, one of so, them... <laughs> yeah, so one of them was... So Sonic's, like, up B, his, like, I'm about to die horribly, and I need five extra feet of, of vertical height. <laughs> um, he uh, The spring, like, the red spring just appears out of nowhere, uh, and yeah. he lands on it, and kabang, and he flies up well smash brothers doesn't make those kinds of things magical like once that spring is out there it's out in the world so anyone else who touches yeah, it for like two seconds anyone else can also bounce on the spring exactly and so that was what happened is i bounced and you accidentally fell onto it. I wish I could claim this as being on purpose. And for I don't know if you jumped at the same time or what, but you rocketed past me. Well, I think you hit me as I bounced up. Oh, maybe the jump counts as uh, like a, a spearing headfirst hedgehog thing. Yeah. But there was definitely well, you, you died like a half a yeah. hair's instant before me. So we both died on our last life, but that counted as a win. <laughs> Yes. So we'll we'll see if we can. I mean, it, it may end up being like crappy cell phone recording <laughs> of the TV, but we'll we'll find a way to share that. The other one I just remembered was me and you like finished a match or some, or maybe we had a timed match accidentally. For some reason, we ended up in sudden death. Yes. And you oh, like oh, ran yeah. past me and just <laughs> fell off and died. Right off. It was just edge. like, all right, sudden death. Let's do this. Oh, I'm dead. Yep. Yeah, I think that was was I little Mac in that one. Well, he's also almost as fast as Sonic. So. Well, and he just he has this crazy like forward attack where he just launches himself, <laughs> and you can't recover from it. Or let me rephrase that: I couldn't recover yeah. from it. It's probably easy if you just aren't mashing the <laughs> controller against your face while yeah. grunting. So it was it was I was all amped up for a huge like stressful battle at three hundred percent each. And, <laughs> nope, and just didn't even get a chance to hate. And you know I. So the the new Smash, like, because I played Brawl the least out of the the newer ones post-64 because I had a GameCube, so I got to play Melee a lot. I had friends who had GameCube, so I got to play Melee at their houses a lot. And it's been a while, you know? So, I mean, this, the nostalgia goggles are getting thicker and thicker. <laughs> and then Brawl, I was kind of okay with Brawl, but I didn't really have anybody to play with, and the computer gets boring. So... When you're like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna play Smash Brothers, I was like tentatively really excited. <laughs> but playing with other people is just as much fun as I remember. Yeah, like it's that game cannot be played alone. Yeah, I was I was kind of I got it over Christmas and was just kind of burnt out after like a week because like oh I unlocked most of the characters and there's not like there's challenges to do but I just like man yeah like, I don't care about launching the the punching bag far like no. Well, I feel like playing alone, the entire purpose of playing alone is practice yeah. for when you play with your friends. So if it's really important to you to win or do well when you play with your friends, then you might play solo more often. But otherwise, I could see only ever pulling that game out yeah. when there's another human being around. So one of the coolest new things they added was a level designer. So you can use your, <laughs> your Wii gamepad. And I've used it exclusively to make horrible maps. <laughs> and this is because the second I mentioned it, you, you tweeted like, oh, so can you make an empty map so everyone just falls to the death over and over? Yep. And the answer is no, but you close can get enough. pretty close. <laughs> um, you have to have at least enough ground for everyone to start. But that ground is really just a tiny sliver, like as wide as a character. And you can also say that the edges are not grabbable so that you always have to land on top of these spots. Yeah, which anybody who's played Smash Brothers knows, landing on a specific two-meter-wide space <laughs> yeah. is not an easy feat. And the computer struggles mightily with this. Um, I've, I've done computer matches where I play like me versus four or three other computers and They'll just fall and they kind of wave back and forth and they use their up B move. I don't know what's going on. And like they're clearly trying to land, but they miss half the time. It's would, so when you play against the computer, do you have its computer smartness all the way up? I've tried everything uh, on that and it still struggles. Okay. <laughs> I, presumably that's just not built into the AI. Yeah, like, like why would super it, sharp landing skills. Yeah, no actual level is designed that way. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to branch out a little bit on my crappy, I can actually, I have a little YouTube video of the computer dying over and over. I can put in the show notes <laughs> as a, to tide people over, but, um, 
I'm starting to branch out. I like instead of just completely death like pit, there's going to be like tiny slivers of platform separated by bowls of lava. So you can bounce off lava, Dane like and Oh yeah, it throws you up. Gain you tons damage. of damage, but it gives you a chance to get to another spot on the map. It's true. Well, it's like in uh melee, I guess. I don't know, one of them. There's a a Metroid level where it's the kind that changes. Yeah. So midway through the level, like 90% of the ground goes away and there's just lava. Yeah. And that's if you're like me and you're only kind of okay. You spend the whole 90 <laughs> seconds that it's in lava mode just bouncing, taking damage over and over. <laughs> then it goes back to the the main level and you're like, great, now I'm at like 250%. Yeah. Awesome. If anyone sneezes in my direction, I'm dead. <laughs> and we did finally get to play Settlers. And oh, I, yeah, yeah. I won the first game ever played on my new board. Settlers of Catan. Although I really – I think I'm going to make my own – like water so yeah. i don't ever have to use the snappy waters again yeah or just like glue it together except now if you get five six player you get extra pieces for a bigger frame yeah so yeah i'm just i think i'm just gonna make little coasters and put them oh, on the outside yeah. just call it a day yeah just trace the normal hex size and you yeah. can or something because i'd only have to make like eight of them maybe you really only need like a triangle wedge that fits and tells you which oh yeah which port is ports. there and I noticed, too, in the box there's, like, fake ports, like tiles. So if you're not happy with the ports that are on there, you can change them. Yeah. It's like, no, I don't care that much. <laughs> if no you one want to randomize even more of the game setup. Yeah, no, too much. So a couple quick items in our rundown. Um, I just stumbled on this this morning. A History and Pictures Twitter account posted while we're on the games topic, Human Chess. And this was almost, it was about 90 years ago. 1924 in St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, giant, it looks like probably like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 feet square. Yeah. For each I, piece of, we square this chessboard. Yeah. And they used actual humans and horses for the knights, and uh, they have like a little like rolling cannon type thing for the, the rook, it looks like. And. Oh, yeah. I didn't even notice that before. So it's giant life-size novelty chess, and not just at FAO Schwartz, but in Russia outside. It looks like there's, like, hundreds of people gathered watching it. And I just got to wonder, like, how long till one of those horses just shit on the board? All over the board. <laughs> maybe they, we can't tell because of the low res, but maybe they have little night diapers on. There are some little, like, dark spots maybe they already had. <laughs> True. <laughs> anyway, not a lot to say, just kind of cool. And also impractical. <laughs> really impractical. I'm just more than anything. I'm impressed by the real horses. Yeah, because you can tell real people like, "Hey, here's your paycheck. You have to stand around for <laughs> hours. Yeah, maybe many, many hours." But for the horses, it's like, what do you say? Like, here's another apple. Keep standing. They were probably just still. in the military and just had to do it. Oh yeah, <laughs> they probably weren't paid. Maybe they got to like drink afterwards. Yeah, I don't know. Russia wasn't communist at this point, 1924, so they may have been free soldiers. Only a few bloody revolutions in. <laughs> hey, every country is always a few bloody revolutions in at any point in their history. So that, uh, a few other quick quickies, um, excuse me. Um, so my, my generous father uh, helped us out with the pronunciation of what we said was Charlie Hebdo. Um, French is the source of a lot of our crazy spellings that don't make sense phonetically. Yep. And hebdo has a silent H, so it's ebdo. And, you know, I love having to write letters that you don't pronounce. It's, it makes a lot of <laughs> sense. Um, so it's a little more like Charlie Hebdo, I'm, I'm told, even though I, I'm not going to try to impersonate a French accent, but. No, uh-huh. no, but no, maybe, no maybe, racist French stuff. Maybe my French sister-in-law can provide us a recording we could play back um, or any newscaster in the last three weeks <laughs> oh, they're probably saying it wrong if they're american i didn't say american newscaster. Oh, okay. <laughs> no one watches american news <laughs> and then the next one's uh, is it, it's oh yours. <laughs> yeah so uh uh i i hate to admit this because it feels like such an un young manly thing to do <laughs> but um my wife and i've been watching the gilmore girls which really feels like a show that was on in the 90s, despite it the fact really that it does. started in, like, 2003. Yeah. Um, but it's... 
I actually like it. Like, I'm, it's funny. It's, a good it's show. Yeah, but the music oh. <laughs> is tragically bad because it's just it's when you're out on your own. <laughs> well, and every time it's like. It's like the ironic slow music in Daria. Like every time something <laughs> sad happens, there's like acoustic guitar fades in. And yeah, and it's, it's like, like la 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 la. It's like oh dear it's God. Like Clarissa explains it all. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But, but none of the like youthful Nickelodeon wackiness. It's nope. <laughs> yeah, but the show itself is good. Just the music. Like it's <laughs> they would just fade out the music completely. But there's uh there's one scene where the so the. Lorelai, the main character, runs an inn and uh, she goes into the kitchen to tell the chef that they're changing the theme of this big party they're throwing. And she flips this giant golf ball cake like and it does like a a somersault in midair and just crashes into this big garbage can. And uh, it's funny. It's not quite a table flip. But it's pretty funny looking. It's close enough. It's close enough. So uh, thanks to the magic of Netflix and screen recording, I was able to make a really nice GIF of it, and I threw it online. And uh, I was surprised, because I don't make a lot of GIFs, that when you uh, record 1080p video and make a GIF out of it, it's really huge. Yeah, it's going to be several <laughs> megabytes. It's three and a half for a four-second Did you leave it at 1080p? Well, yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, I just I full-screen Netflix, recorded the entire screen, and then, yeah. well, yeah, so I guess it's compressed down to probably 720. Okay. Um, but it's, I think GIFs work like flash video with like keyframes. So because there's like people running around in the background while this is happening, like every single frame is basically a brand new frame. You can't, yeah. you can't really keyframe anything off of it. I was more like, didn't you didn't want to just throw it down to like 640, nah. 360 or nah. something? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look great, but it looks fine. Well, that'll be in the show notes just to have some more flipping animations. And if you know of any famous table or infamous table flips or unknown ones from film and movies and TV shows, let us know and either send us a GIF or let us make one. Yeah, I was kind of delighted by how easy it was to make. Like, I ripped it. I didn't even have to use a tool locally. I just threw the MP4 file at, like, some website, and it returned a GIF. I was like, done. So continuing our little tour of short topics before we get down and dirty into something serious, (laughs) um, there's this Chrome plugin I stumbled on. Someone retweeted it uh, called WebTimer, and it'll it'll track your web usage, what sites you go to and spend time on, and then you can check on it, and it'll split up into a nice visual pie chart where you spend your time on the web. So I thought it'd be fun uh, to install this and maybe next week report back on exactly, I don't think it's going to be surprising, but exactly where <laughs> I go on the web. Yeah, I think the this only goes one of two ways. Either you confirm the places you're wasting time, and now that you have data, you can maybe improve the way you spend your time, or a week or two goes by and you look at it and you're like, oh, <laughs> I had no idea I spent that many hours on humanchess.com. Like, <laughs> I really need to get back to work. So that's I, I installed it. I'm excited. There's actually, a, when I was in graduate school, a bunch of my colleagues and uh, some of my professors used Rescue Time. You ever hear Rescue Time? No. It's basically this, but it costs money. And I think there's some like in-depth drill down. And I looked at it, and I was like, am I willing to pay money to find out how much time I spend screwing off? Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, when you're, you yeah. feel very differently about what you do with your time at 23 than you do at 29. So I was like, uh, now maybe I should keep a little bit better track yeah. of my life. And since so – I mean, you know, our work is online. A lot of our recreation is online. So I'm excited. And, oh, my God, there's a live counter. Oh, my God, it updates in real time. <laughs> this is kind of amazing. And I think it's using the Google Docs API to make this little chart happen in yeah, real time. Yeah, it, it looks gorgeous. The web. And since I have our show notes open, it, it's dominating my time. Yeah, right yeah, same here. So I feel like we did this show start out with a little bit of like, hey, champ, you and I got to have a talk. And we're kind of like beating around the bush, asking about the weather, but... I think what we really we really need to talk about is the internet. Yeah. And its sadness. And so these these actually aren't in chronological order, but I think they're in makes the most sense order. 
So last night was the State of the Union. Yeah, did I you, didn't. I did not watch it. Did, but you read it. There, uh, yeah, and uh, then there were various tweets. Sure. <laughs> so, I think I know when Obama was running for president. Everybody was like, he's the most web-savvy candidate ever. And then later, he was the most web-savvy president ever. And then, of course, that came back to bite him in the ass when the healthcare website yeah. tanked so bad. They were like, oh, web-savvy, nerd. <laughs> so, that, all, whatever, all that. But I do think it's really amazing that this administration has a YouTube account. They have a Twitter account. Yeah. They have a Medium account, apparently. They've done Reddit AMAs. Yeah. And and this, I mean, nothing for or against Obama's politics, but I think this is now like a thing. Like whoever comes into the office next, another Democrat or a Republican, I think they're going to have a really hard time turning their back on all this stuff. Like these doors are now open. Yeah, well, it's kind of like the first president to be on the radio or be on television. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he actually, in his State of the Union address, he used Instagram as a verb. Like he was talking about the I can't remember his name. There's he's got teenage daughters, doesn't he? <laughs> hey, he can be web savvy on his own. That's ageist. But he so some astronaut is going to spend a year in space on the space station to prepare for future trips to Mars, like to see the effect on the human body. And he said in the State of the Union speech, like, make sure to Instagram it. I was like, wow, like that's a sentence that the president of the United States that speechwriter is allowed to be in the speech. Well, yeah, but he, he presumably approved it. Maybe. I don't know. Do, yeah. do they just make him say whatever they want? The puppet masters, <laughs> the evil shadow government, right? Right. The, the Illuminati or whatever. But, but I think like this is the fact that, cause I didn't watch it. It was on at a time that was not convenient for me cause I was spending time with family but the fact that I could go back and read the whole thing on Medium. They published it, I think, before they it did, happened. Yeah, it was, I think, like an hour or two before. And they have comments open so people can yeah. be horrible on the internet oh, all yeah. over. Yeah, I mean, State of the Union, I mean, this is this has always been sort of a political tool for the president to try to set an agenda and try to, try to get Congress to do something specific. Yeah, um, I think though, particularly the, at the end of a second term like this, yeah. Kind of just like, I'm going to speak my mind, bitches. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with all those caveats that it is basically, it's it's trying to... It's a pep talk. Yeah, it's a pep talk. It's a political agenda. It's trying to say, here's the one or two things I really think I want to try to do before I'm out. Um, there was a lot of like pro-business internet stuff. Um, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Until but, you tie but, it to this other story. Yeah. Well, <laughs> vaguely, I mean, who's going to disagree with like, yeah, make things better, political speech? Yeah. Like, has there ever been a candidate that isn't like, things got to change? Yeah. Let's improve things instead of making but, them worse. I, I, I like the way he thinks. So, I mean, it, I don't think there's anything profound in it, but it is nice to hear like, yeah, we our internet speed is slower than the rest of the world. That's going to be a liability long term. Yeah. Well, I will say I do like – and I, he mentioned a couple times that it's like very broad and, and all like that. And I mean it, it is. It's a pep talk. It's not the details of the plan. At least I hope not because it was really broad. But yeah. he says a couple times um, sort of the same sort of uh, argument I've heard from Bill Nye, which is like we used to lead in science and technology and other countries are gaining on us so fast and in some areas have already passed us. And if we don't do something different, the gap is going to get wider. More countries are going to pass us and we're just going to like drop down. And I mean, of course, it's all like we need to bring jobs back to this country. Yeah. And, you know, we need to reinvigorate manufacturing and all like that. And again, I don't, I'm not really as concerned about the politics is like the fact that he's focusing on science and technology at all is like thumbs up because <laughs> I feel like a lot of politicians just – they focus on other things and then they expect like technology and engineering to just happen. And it's yeah. like, no, those things happen because of technology yeah. and engineering. NASA used to lead. Um, yeah. Now we have to look to SpaceX and, and Richard Branson to uh, <laughs> get us to Mars. Is and, his thing still happening? Virgin Galactic? Yeah. It's just, it's so expensive to test oh, true. that it's like years between test flights and test launches. Which also means if there's any human-controlled aspect, there's, like, years in between getting to actually do something. Right. Which, yeah, pretty impacts the 
you forget what you're doing if you take three years off. Um, <laughs> a little bit. So before anyone gets super excited about being 21st century business and internet awesome, oh, there's, there's freedom. More, there's more. I thought we won. Cries, I thought. Um, is sometimes when they do talk about details, you realize how wrong government is, <laughs> and there there are some good voices in government, but they're the minority, and most of the th- times I hear a politician talking about the internet, it's just dead wrong, and so Obama has joined uh, Cameron of the he's British da- Prime Minister, or, yeah, David yeah, Cameron, um, in saying basically we need to decrypt the internet and we we need to have some special magical backdoor that lets law enforcement see everything without a warrant and yeah. because they'll never abuse that ever. It's yeah. been proven that no official or security person has ever been corrupted or bribed yeah. ever in the history of time, which is awesome. I mean, what a, <laughs> what a track record. I mean, good job, humans. Um, <laughs> And what's depressing about this is we already have one of the most porous, horrible security records. Our government is leaking data. It's a very leaky ship all over the place. Um, I've had gotten notice from uh, the state of Ohio once that a laptop that may have contained some of my personal information was lost. Oh. This was like 10 years ago. <laughs> and their, their answer was they bought me one year of identity protection. Thanks, guys. So one year, okay, now what do I do? Continue yeah. paying for that? Yeah. So if the criminals have a backlog of people they're screwing and they don't get to you for a year, sorry, we did our best. Yeah. So that's that's irritating. And so the, the federal government's already horrible. Like they're just leaking stuff left and right. Um, and the private industry also has some leaks, Sony, ahem. <laughs> <coughs> and so one of the things Obama is proposing is that basically – this this CISPA um, bill, CISPA, cyber something something act. Yeah, it's SOPA. <laughs> um, is to make it basically companies will not be liable for anything that goes wrong by sharing their data with the government. Like they're kind of granted some immunity to make them want to help the government. Right. Which if and I mean I haven't read the entire bill, but if it was phrased in such a way that it was like. The company won't be held liable when a warrant is issued for a necessary legal investigation. The government will instead be held uh, liable for, you know, any data that's lost. Then I would be like, well, as long as someone is freaking responsible. Well, I think the biggest problem is that unlike, I mean, Europe's kind of ahead of us on data privacy. And I know sometimes they overreach and have strange things they try to make Google do with web results. But that aside, they are way more vigilant about trying to protect user information, user data. Yeah. And we only have patchwork stuff. Like our health data is pretty well protected. Yep. Some educational data. But not as much as people think. (laughs) But almost anything else you do with a third party that's not like health related is pretty much open season. Yep. And because once your data is part of the company, it's not considered your data anymore. It's that company's business records. Right. And the government has pretty free access to business records, as has come to light. Sometimes (laughs) through warrants and and legit means, and often through, um, I think I was reading on Ars Technica about... um, it's never so much been the operating systems on our mobile phones like iOS or Android haven't been leaky. It's third-party apps and APIs. Oh, always. And so Facebook for a long time was basically the giant honeypot for everything. Yeah. And it may still be to a large degree, <laughs> but not quite as much as it used to be. Because we have slides released from Snowden and other leakers of the NSA basically like – they they literally use this on a slide. I drink your milkshake. They use that <laughs> phrase for basically they they suck all the data out of these other places. All right, and they they That's were not like terrifying gl- at all. Gleefully, adolescently excited about how easy it was to rip millions of people's personal information out of companies. Yeah, and I think part of the problem is that people don't really understand how clear of a picture you can reconstruct. With seemingly innocuous bits. Yeah. You know, if you give someone a puzzle and you're like, well, I didn't give them the whole thing. I only gave them the edges and part of the center and then this piece on the left. And it's like, yeah, but if they know that those edges are edges and they know that that center is the center, then you get a pretty freaking clear picture. Yeah. I'm... 
I mean, so what do you think the problem is? Because you, you mentioned Europe. Uh, I think Germany is a big – they have some other weird – like they take it too far in some cases like with the Google stuff like you said. But do you think it's because once we do something, information about that thing is no longer – belongs yeah, we, to we us just don't like, have a it good, becomes a record yeah we don't have a good legal framework or precedent for caring about i do i do think the supreme court is sort of turning a corner a little bit and realizing that 1960 rulings on phone calls <laughs> is not exactly a good model for what happens today which is just an astronomically different yeah amount of data context and access and speed and and what damage can be done to a person with that data well and i think it's that that kind of public like how informed the public is too like if you even if you have no idea how a telephone works if you pick up a phone and dial a number and then talk to someone and then hang up that phone you have a pretty clear idea of what just happened yeah if you sit down at a computer and you open the internet and you're doing stuff most people do not have a very clear grasp of what they're sending out. Yeah. You know, there's your IP, there's location information. They can get your location sometimes yeah. off your IP. There's, um, you know, there's cookies. They can tell other sites you've been to based on that information. Like, it's it's like if you picked up the phone, they knew every other person you talked to that yeah. month. And even on the phone ruling, I still think you should have to have a warrant to see anything about who I've called. Oh, for That's sure. That's just private like that's my business and unless you have a, a reasonable reason to know about my business stay out of my business yeah yeah i think it's we really do have a weird loophole in uh, in business records it's like well yeah i interacted with this company why is that now public knowledge but our, our government is just all drugged up on that and they don't want to give it up no i mean that's why like when the the patriot act first happened a lot of security people were so freaked out because they were like, yeah, if they were going to use this to go and hunt down the bad guys, kill the bad guys, or arrest the bad guys, and then be done with it, that'd be fine. That but never happens. That never happens. It's incredibly rare that power is relinquished once it is yeah. taken. I mean, and this is where all the crazy – we don't have to get into any of this. Yeah. But I mean, this is where all the crazy um, conspiracy theories come in because – if you are in power and you're like, well, I want more power, you're like, well, I'll make something bad happen, yeah. get public support to gain power, and then I never have to give it up. I feel like there's there's a phrase for that, the false no. flag kind of, yeah, like, it, I want to start is a, a war. a false flag. Yeah. Wag the dog. You ever yeah. see that movie? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly Like, you want to start is. a war, you set off a bomb and claim the enemy did it, yeah. and then you're off to war. Yep. Um, Boots on the ground. Yeah. It's frustrating, and I think the thing with this is the legislation is always, well, let's just make it even safer for businesses to share their data. And it's like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> also, well, just like combining two leaky ships does not make a nice yeah, tight ship. Yeah. <laughs> two holes does not make a not hole. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I saw – so every you know like month or two, I'll see somebody on Twitter notice that – they have better authentication into like Twitter than they do into their bank. Yeah. Cause like a lot of online banks don't have two factor. They don't let you have a 55 character password if you want so to. So what was at the Ruby meetup? Was it Ben that said that um, about, so he was talking about how a lot of like old ass software, like banks or medical stuff, he's probably talking medical, but I wouldn't be surprised if bank software is this way is written horribly, documented horribly, oh, yeah. and thousands of people and billions of dollars relies on it working well. Yep. And so that's not a job any good programmer wants to sign up for, is potentially ruining financial systems while trying to update a hell of an old system that's not documented and written terribly. Yeah. And yeah, so, nobody wants to – they're like, I'll do that. Yeah, I think there's lots of obstacles to updating these systems. Well, and I mean we know from some of our work that a lot – a surprising amount of medical technology relies on really old hardware and software. And that's fine 20 years ago when these things weren't networked. 
But then in not even 20 years ago, like 30 years ago. Yeah. So now in like the, you know, the, the late 90s and early 2000s when every single piece of medical equipment was plugged into the Internet, it's like, oh, that's cool. Now I can just I can, t- you know, do something in radiology and I can just send that over to whatever, you know, the records department. And then I don't have to carry paper records around. It's instant. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that was cool when that software was patched and secure. Now that it's a decade or more out of date, yeah, that's a huge attack vector, you know. And I mean, this is every single hospital and medical facility in the world, or at least in this country, because they all use pretty much the same kind of stuff. And it, the, the frustrating thing is, instead of funding updates to get our, I mean, maybe they they do want to, you know, there's there's vague talk about our infrastructure has to get smarter and better, yeah, but. I always see the push is the law enforcement side of, well, we just need to be able to track what everyone's doing and we can stop them from blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Or, you know, retaliate or something. And it's like, why don't we just be more secure in the first place by not sharing everything with everyone and having all these <laughs> attack vectors? Because, I mean, that was a point in the comment I saw in an Ars Technica article I'll put in the notes was... You know, maybe other countries, small countries all over the world can't really pose a physical threat to us. They don't have rockets and missiles and entire armadas and, and fleets to, to throw at us if they wanted to. But when it comes to cyber attacks, the whole world's pretty much on even footing. You yeah. can rent server power anywhere. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> if you're trying to do something small, like gain access to a system, you don't even need powerful guts. In an internet connection that's stable, yeah, that's about it. You know, I mean, you could do this from a smartphone or a crappy Dell netbook from five years ago. So there's that aspect of asymmetrical warfare of, I mean, yeah, we can also attack them. And Stuxnet is an example of that happening where we screwed up some, it was an Iran nuclear yeah. plants or something. We basically, yeah, I mean, it does work both ways, Yeah, but it's still bad. But we're <laughs> this giant ship with holes all over. <laughs> well, and I'm, I, I, I catch myself doing this all the time because it just works so well, but I hate doing like physical analogies to digital constructs, but I can't imagine this ever happening in a physical world. Like imagine if we went to war with Canada just cause they're close by. So like, we're at war with Canada, and I can't imagine the leader of our countries or, or the leaders of our country getting on the radio and being like, "We're at war, everyone, unlock your doors, throw open your windows, you know, hold yeah. your driver's license out the front door so that we can see it." <laughs> like they just wouldn't do that because that would be dumb. Like they would tell you to hunker down, make things tighter. And yeah. yet with the internet and with these very, very important systems, financial, medical, military, education, infrastructure, all these things, they're like, Oh, well, what if we just unlocked all the doors and left them open? Wouldn't that be awesome? Cause then everything would be out there. Yeah. And it's like, no, well, be the, transparent where transparency makes sense. It's a little more like that's just transparently stupid, but it's a little more fantasy world of, can you magically have a door that's only unlocked for us? Well, is what they want. That's why I say no, that it doesn't exist. Exactly. Because if the door is unlocked for if the front door to my house is unlocked for you, it's also unlocked for the criminals and the murderers. But they seem to think there's a, like a special. Yeah. And there isn't. There just is Unicorn isn't. lock. And this is why like you can tell immediately um, people who do and don't really get technology because someone who understands technology just wouldn't ask for that. Yeah. They just wouldn't. Because it would be no different than being like, I want to get in a plane and fly across the country, but I don't want it to have wings, wheels, or an engine, or a pilot, and I want it to be a horse. Yeah. It's like, it's, like, it's just the question okay. makes no sense. A backdoor. Kate Kidd you're not getting Pegasus. <laughs> yeah, a backdoor only I can get into in, in the world of technology makes no sense. Yeah. And th- this is actually, so this was one of my things about uh, uh, David Cameron's comments. Um. And I, I want to stress again, I'm not siding with or against any politicians, just their stupid, stupid, stupid policies. Mm-hmm. Um, but David Cameron uh, has kind of pushed for some stuff like this before. And we've seen a lot of stuff like this take small hold in other countries. And then we have big time crazy examples like China, where we actually have a, a pithy nickname for it, which is the Great Firewall. Yeah. And D- 
do you know that there's a crap ton of Chinese people on Facebook because the Great Firewall is like ridiculously easy to circumvent? So my fear, like conspiracy theory kind of fear is let's say that, you know, the prime minister of Canada, they have a prime minister? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> let's say the, the leader of Canada and the leader of America and the leader of the United Kingdom and Stephen Harper. There you go. And, you know, the leaders of a bunch of uh, European coalition countries and, and Japan and South Korea, like they all get together and they're like, OK, we're going to de-encrypt the Internet. And we're going to make everything, you know, accessible to government and law enforcement. And then it's really easy to circumvent for the citizenry or the most, you know, a lot of the citizenry. My fear then is those policies will never get removed because they were so easily circumvented. Yeah. And then that means in five years or 10 years or 100 years when there's another disaster, or there's another crisis or there's another economic downturn and they want to do new policies, they're going to build on these yeah. current shitty policies. So it's like I almost feel like it would be better if they did this and something terrible happened and then everybody rose up and was like, you have to change this because if it's just an ineffective, yeah. you know, if it's just a velvet rope that everybody steps over, then when it's time to put spikes on the rope, we'll be like, well, we're all used to the rope. Yeah. And there's just danger though. Cause the response to a disaster is not always, here's a clear rational solution to what caused that disaster. It's here's a big thing I want to do and I can use all this emotion to get what I want to do done. Right. And so that's why I don't, don't really wish for a disaster not even like some pragmatic well we'll be better afterwards disaster no and that's why i think these kinds of security things are so important because it's i mean you know in the the tech world we deal with this all the time when somebody you've probably had family or friends that have come to you and they're like somebody got into my gmail and now like such and such happened and you're like you're you're fucked yeah. Like they're already in the house. They already stole your things. I can't unsteal your things for you. Yeah. We can take some steps. You can change passwords. You can, mm-hmm. you know, do whatever. But it's like you can't be secure after the fact. The box is open. They ate your lunch. I just hope that uh, companies like Google and Apple and anyone that they're influential platform owners can see it as I don't really want to throw this word around a lot. Some kind of public service or patriotic duty to not give in and like keep encrypting and like pushing yeah. security even if the government sweetens the deal and like gives you immunity and pays you off like right like you know the right thing to do <laughs> well and i i can't imagine that especially with a company like google or facebook you don't want your trade secrets is, getting out to other companies <laughs> no they definitely don't but i mean they're also very global companies so when Google looks at who they're appeasing, it's like America is probably their biggest constituent. We're really not the only constituent. Like Google's used kind of everywhere. Facebook's used pretty much everywhere. You know, like Twitter used pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Like they – if the American government's giving them pressure or the, the United Kingdom government is giving them pressure to do something stupid, they have a lot of incentive to be like, no, <laughs> because there's – you know, let's say 20 of you major governments asking us to do things and yours is the dumbest. So we're not going to listen to you, which is great when the governments are bad, but sucks when the governments are right. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, but we we're global enough. We don't care. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can imagine, uh, Google, your Facebooks, your, your Twitter grams, your Insta Ellos, all those things. (laughs) Ellos gets the joint. I can, but I can imagine big companies like that, Microsoft, um, saying like, "Yeah, we're not gonna de-encrypt stuff. We're nope, we're just not." Yeah, and then being like, "Oh, well, but you have to," and then being like, "Well, then we're gonna base our offices in other countries, and we're gonna take our billions of dollars <laughs> over there." And he actually, uh, Obama had a thing about that in his speech about like. What if we weren't so aggressively stupid when it came to stuff like this and we didn't incentivize giant yeah. multi-billion dollar companies to go set up shops somewhere else? It's like, what a concept. Yeah. And I know it's more complicated than that, but I mean, you got to start with, let's do this thing. Now, how do we do it? Yeah. You know? So this is, I don't know. I'm always, I'm always remiss to, to get so knee deep into politics, but I mean, it's, we, we've we've we're through the looking glass. Well, like this is part of modern society. The, the internet is undeniably 
part of everyone's life now. Even if you kind of ignore it and don't use computers, like all the things you do are still influenced by it. Oh, and yeah. It's not just like nerds in the 80s and 90s that are early adopters. It's not just AOL Instant Messenger. What are these teens doing? It's every facet of life is now being eaten by software. And so it's starting to matter to regular people, starting to matter to older regular people. And I don't mean that in an ageist way, but just people who grow up in a world without the internet Mm -hmm. are even, even their world. Well, and if you participate in society in pretty much any capacity, that means that there are digital government records, there are digital health records, there are digital financial records. So you may not own a computer, you may not do anything on the internet, but your information in some form or another is on the internet. Yeah. So it is in your best interest that that be encrypted, handled in a smart way, secured, you know, trans because it needs to be transmitted. Yeah. So it needs to be transmitted securely. Like whether you want to play ball or not, the businesses you interact well, with. Well, I've heard it called like you're going to have a database society no matter what. So try to make it a fair and honest database society <laughs> because there's going to be data about everyone doing all sorts of things. Can you make that not a cruel society? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think encrypting everything and you owning information that you create Generate. or is created about you. Well, that, that one's a little tricky, but certainly anything you I create. think we're, we're too far on the, the, the business owning it side in America. So that's just it. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, you can, we you can err on the side of businesses can't do anything because it's so hard to interact with people <laughs> due to crazy red tape. But I, I do think we're so far on the, you said or did something and now this other company completely owns it and can do absolutely anything with it which i think i'd be okay with if they were required to anonymize everything then still store it encrypted but even i mean depending on the form of anonymization even that can be reconstructed that's why it's still encrypted yeah yeah so it's like there has to be multiple layers of protecting but then can that be shared with the government if they have a warrant right now, pretty freely. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. Say, that's what, I, in that's an ideal the thing world, that yeah. bothers me is like, it's not my data. It's yeah. It's, when, it's like a track in the snow instead of my foot. <laughs> right. In the in the mid two thousands, I guess. Um, I remember hearing a lot of people say, you know, well, if you don't have anything to hide, who are you worried about? I hate and, that. Well, I'll admit there was a time when I was very much like, well, I don't really have anything to hide. Like, I don't care if people know where I am or what I'm doing. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, but information's information. And once it's out there, it's out there forever. So maybe someone will figure out like, oh, he goes surfing a lot and that's a dangerous sport. Let's jack up his insurance rates. I know that's like the hackney yeah. example, but I mean, that's. The kind of thing where it's like, oh, maybe I don't want everything I do mm. to be known by everyone ever. And the, the data hoarding companies would love to sell you on the promise of, no, if we had all this data, we would give you a cheaper rate because we know you're responsible. Right. And we wouldn't have to assume you're like other young males that are reckless and yeah. and terrible. But it's sort of like when oil prices go up, airline prices go up, and when oil prices go down, guess what happens to airline prices? They stay up. They don't go down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It, I mean, I, I heard an interesting argument uh, recently about this. Like, have you ever heard the phrase uh, "obligation to maximize profits," like fiduciary responsibility? To, yeah, if you're a to corporation, you are actually obligated. So here's the question: Is that a legal obligation or is that a societal obligation? I'm pretty sure shareholders can throw you out if they have can demonstrate you aren't. But that's still business rules. Are yeah. you actually legally responsible? I can't imagine that you are. And I think there's an important difference there because if I ran a company and my shareholders came to me and they were like, you made a billion dollars last year, but you could have made $1.1 billion, so you're out of here, buddy. Yeah. Like, I think you could make a good argument for why you made the choices you made. Now, if you actually broke a law by provably not maximizing profits, 
That's a really big yeah, it's, incentive it's to probably, act like a tool. I don't think you can be legally required to succeed in business. <laughs> to attempt to succeed, but I guess. I don't see it as much less of a motivation when you can be fired very easily by all the shareholders if they just don't like what you did, even if yeah. you made money. If they're just That's a hell of a motivation. It's a really wacky system. <laughs> So I don't know that we have time for the rest of our topics. I, I kind of, you know, here, we're going to skip uh, this one, this one, and, okay. and we'll just do this last one, and we'll move this other one next week. All right, so like any any single day in the entire year, <laughs> it's a day of the year, so there's an Apple rumor, but the, this rumor's been around for a little while, but it just recently got a little more detailed, which may still may be completely wrong, but... There's rumors that Apple's going to have an even more airy, thinny, <laughs> even thinner, crazier laptop. The, the thinnest, lightest laptop and we've ever made. The rumor in particular is, and this is why it's caught our eye, is a 12-inch MacBook Air might, might have a retina screen, but the, the, the crazy rumor point is there would be only one port that would serve as both charging or expansion. It'd be like a a, a new USB port that's finally reversible. <laughs> the Type-C, I think, yeah. USB 3 Type-C. And either that you would have to charge through that or what you're hoping for, which is... Oh, I want wireless charging. It, <laughs> yeah. it has to be. It has to be wireless charging. It won't because... Apple's not out solely to make me happy. But. For, in a lot of ways, Apple's never first to something like that. It well, They like to make you think they were the, the afterwards. Only, but Yes, they do. The only reason I even see this as a... Well, there's two reasons. I see this as a glimmer possibility is, one, MagSafe is like a big deal. Yeah. I know you love MagSafe. And for them to take that away and replace it with like a connector that's like hardwired and yeah. would yank your computer off the counter if somebody stepped on it seems weird. It'd be a huge step backwards. Yes. So for them to take that away seems a little bit weird to me. And the other thing is uh, they actually have a device with wireless charging. Well, it's not released yet, but. But it is something they've already tooled with. Yeah, so and, the, the watch is going to have a basically you set it down and it's charging. Exactly, it's a little, it's like a little circle thing yeah. that actually magnetically clips to the back. Um, so it's a MagSafe wireless charger. Mm-hmm. But I can imagine them using that as a place to learn about that technology. Um, I know that the next generation of Intel chips that they're more than likely going to be using um, supports this yeah. out, of, out of the the door. So. I want this. Like, I really want this to happen. Like, all, all the ducks are already in a row. All you have to do is say, hey, we have our ducks in a row. Yeah. And then sell pictures of those ducks. Like, it's, Look at them ducks. Yeah. I just feel like the, the groundwork is largely completed. Yeah. Because the only other thing I could think of would be if if this one port you have is power and also everything else, yeah. that it would have to be a pass-through. So – you have power, but then there's also it expands on the back to where you could plug like an external monitor or something into that same port. Who the hell wants to do that? Yeah, that's not thin and light and beautiful. It's ugly and stupid. There'll be an adapter. Um, <laughs> they do love the, adapters. Yeah, I heard, read an interesting article about this that I'll try to dig up for the show notes, which isn't there yet. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> is uh, kind of thematically thinking of this as. The first mobile first laptop, which is kind of strange because laptops got invented to be mobile, but like in yeah. in sort of the the <laughs> modern sense of mobile first, like when right. software development was like, oh, we write for phones, and then maybe we'll make a desktop app, right? And sort of like what what would you do with a laptop if you knew the world was driven by smartphones and not desktop operating systems, mm-hmm. and it and assuming you don't think the iPad. It, style is really the answer there and (laughs) and i mean apple's had a few years to watch microsoft make a better attempt than before at tablets but still i think i I would say some serious flaws with the surface even though having a digitizer and like 
almost one-to-one pen input is cool. Yeah. It's kind of niche. It's, well, like everything Microsoft does, it's like, wow, it's amazing technology that you marketed poorly yeah. and you can't convince anyone yeah. to buy. They are getting – the marketing has been pretty good for the Surface lately. Did you, did you see they uh, they killed Scroogled? They finally did? That campaign is done. Man. Well, I remember the first Surface ads were just like happy people dancing with covers, throwing yeah, them. And, nothing about and the, actual, like, the actual tool. Like, I've always found Apple's a little better at like they show you what – like the iPad ads are artists and people making cool things. And it's like almost nothing about like it's got a USB port, which is yeah. how they are, the Surface was advertised over Christmas. And I'm like, no one cares about ports. I mean nerds do, so everyone who comments on your ad in the – on the internet's going to be positive <laughs> about it, but well, I mean, and I honestly like thinking from Apple's point of view about like ports add thickness and they drain power because yeah. the things you hook up to them have to be powered. Like, I understand why they would say like, well, we don't want that stuff on there. But honestly, my so my laptop has two USB ports, and then it's hooked up to an external monitor that has four USB three ports. Do you know how many times I've used those ports? None? None. <laughs> None time. I don't even have the connector from the monitor to the laptop, so th- I can't even use them if I wanted to because I didn't bother to hook it up. Because if I need to get data from my phone to my laptop or my laptop to my tablet or whatever, I do not rummage through my bag for an, a micro SD adapter, yeah. plug it into my tablet, download stuff onto the – it's making me sick no. just thinking about it. And that that's what I think a mobile-first laptop needs to have software that is intimately connected to all your digital stuff. Yes. And so that it isn't, oh, I need to get those photos. It's, oh, I'm just going to go look at my photos because they're already here. Yep. And well, it's like with uh, Dropbox. Yeah. Dropbox will do over-network syncing. So there have been times... Yeah, do land sync. If yeah, you- yeah, yeah. So th- there's been times I've taken a picture on my phone... And before I'm done, like, swiping back to the home screen, I will see in the corner of my eye on my laptop the little, like, such and such a picture has been added to your Dropbox. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. Because I didn't even have to think about it. So just we have a lot of those pieces, and I think I think it's more like you can make a new laptop that understands that. And it's like, yeah, Cloud Sync's already taken care of that. We don't need an SD card port or right. even though that I do love when I use my dumb camera um, <laughs> that takes better pictures, but is a dumb camera. I, it's been nice to be able to sl- just slide it in and, and pull my pictures off. But I recognize that the next camera I buy is just going to cloud sync. Yep. Well, you can even, it's not, it never got very popular, but it's a good idea. There is, uh, it's called a iFi. Actually, I'll throw a link to them in the show notes. Cause I like what they're doing. Um, it's, it's an, it's a wireless SD card. So the yeah. SD card just has the smarts built in. So you don't nest, you know, if you're a professional photographer, you're not going to upgrade thousands and thousands of dollars of camera equipment just to get Wi-Fi syncing. But if you do want that little added convenience, you throw this in there, you sync it to your home network. And then when you bring your camera back into the house from a day of, you know, shooting a wedding or nature photography or whatever, you just set the camera down and the card talks to your computer yeah. It's like that's that's a that's a smart upgrade, you know, because that's really the only limitation with the camera. I don't need Facebook on my camera. I don't need to be able to browse the web from the viewfinder. So, you know, this is an upgrade that's smart. And actually, I've talked to a lot of photographers and asked them about this, and they're like, "Oh, I never heard of that." I'm like, "But it's such a good idea. Why did it never occur to you that this is a really good idea?" Yeah. So I think we're over an hour now, or ish. We're at an hour, close maybe. I can tell you from looking at my little time tracking app that so far I've spent ninety point eight percent of my time on Google Docs. Uh, Only eighty percent here because I had Twitter open on the horse chess. (laughs) (laughs) That is what you. At the end of the week, you definitely want to look back and be like, "Yes, I maximized my horse chess exposure." So where can people find these show notes? So head to flippingtablespodcast.com slash 050 for these show notes. 
And uh, you can find me on the internet at Twitter. I'm M. Edwards Music. They can find you at Twitter? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and pseudomichael.com. Or I also run another podcast called the Pseudobook Podcast, which is uh, very different, very uh, artsy music and ballet and filmmakers. Uh, we interview them. Check that out. Pseudobook Podcast. <laughs> I like that plug. We should start plugging stuff. Yeah, we got to crosstalk our yeah, shows. Yeah, we got a whole uh, a whole other life outside the show that we well, should more, be willing to plug. More on that soon. <laughs> um, people can find me at Lines and Beta on Twitter, linesandbeta.com. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Put a bow on it. Stick a fork in it. Thank you.